It's the Chuck Shoe Podcast. I like to sing along to this theme song, even though it doesn't have any words other than hey. Uh, my girlfriend says I shouldn't sing, though, so I'll try to cut that out. I've got a great guest for you today, comedian Liz Glazer. She has such a fascinating story. Um, she has a doctorate in law. She was a tenured law professor, and she also has a master's in philosophy. She gave up this... Uh, you know, Kush, I don't know if it was Kush, but it's probably hard work, but, um, you know, it's a pretty good gig, um, probably getting paid a lot of money. She gave it up to follow her dream of stand-up comedy. So I really admire that um, as somebody who has uh, kind of quit his uh, job to fulfill his dream, and uh, and now he drives Uber. But anyways, um, she is hilarious. She's such a nice person. It's always uh, really fun to interact with these people, comedians and musicians and media people that are just just so such genuinely nice people it's really uh refreshing to interact with these kind of people like that that are just such good-hearted people so i think we had a really good conversation um you really get to know her whole story um she's like i said it's an interesting background and uh, and i think and it'll be an interesting interesting future for her as well because she's accomplished so much already um and she's just relatively still relatively new to comedy so i think uh, a lot is going to be happening in the future so you definitely want to remember this name and, and follow her career and follow her on all the social media and such um so without further ado here's my interview with liz glazer please welcome liz glazer to my show the chuck shoot podcast oh. you are actually the first woman that i've had on my show so i hope you're okay with that you're like oh, the nice. susan b anthony of uh my podcast <laughs> I mean, I've gotten it before. <laughs> it's exciting. So, um, and I, you uh, were recommended by Mike Kaplan, who was also on my show. And so, mm -hmm. you must have lived in New York at one point. You live in LA now, but you must have lived in New York when you met him, right? Yes, uh, I'm from that area of the world, New York, New Jersey. I'm from a part of New Jersey whose sole existence is as a result of its proximity to New York. But then I, I went to high school in New York and I lived in New York doing comedy for four years, uh, the first four years basically of doing comedy. And the reason that I say basically is because I literally started in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, but, but not like came up in Chicago. Um, and then, yeah, I moved to LA in 2017 uh, and that's where I live now. Gotcha. Yeah. And we'll get to all that Chicago stuff and mm -hmm. you have a very interesting background, but um, I try to mm -hmm. go chronologically a little bit if I can. So um, oh, your, your parents are, uh, is it Latvian or Orthodox? Is that, did I say that right? No, I probably uh, screwed that up. Um, so my dad is from Latvia and in terms of Orthodoxy, uh, we're Jewish. Jewish. And I went, yeah. And I went to a, a modern Orthodox Jewish day school. Okay. Um, grow, growing up, or I guess hmm. two, one for elementary school and then another for high school. So I'm guessing that that's where those two buzzwords <laughs> came into your research. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then I thought this was interesting. So, cause you said something about, I didn't hear the details on this, but you, did you say your dad was in a movie when he was in, lived in Israel for six months? Yeah. I don't even remember where I said that, you know, a funny thing, just as an aside, and, and I don't mean it to uh, derail the answering of the question, mm -hmm. which I promise I will answer, but I, I researched you, and what I turned up 
this is very meta, which is exciting for me, was I researched the fact that you research a lot. <laughs> and, um, and when I, when I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, maybe a funny thing to say or whatever. But then I was so curious whether I was going to have the, um, the reaction that other people have had of like, wow, you really know a lot. Um, so I don't even remember where I said that, but my, I mean, I've been on, you know, podcasts and stuff. Right, and yeah. So whatever. Yeah. But anyway, it, it's a really, it's a lovely thing that you do. The research It's such a, I mean, it's impressive and there's that, but it's also a very generous uh, move. And so I, well, thank I appreciate you. That's a nice thing to what say, you yeah. do. No, and oh, I love yeah. doing well, it. I, I feel like I know you already just because I've listened to all these interviews oh. that you've done. I've watched your stand-up. Like, so it's really exciting oh, to like okay. talk to you. You're really just, that makes me feel really good. And it's <laughs> good. And so, it, yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And thanks for having me on. Um, regarding my father. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, your father. I, yeah. No, I don't, I didn't mean to elicit an apology. I just didn't want to not answer the question. I'm, I am still a lawyer. So, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> you still have your you still have your your law license then, or how does I don't, what is, I don't know what they yeah. call it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, You're legally. I mean, I say, right. Mm. I I don't. I think I do have retired status um, mm. because I don't do. They have like continuing legal education, which mm -hmm. you know makes enough sense that that would be a requirement in like a bar, whatever profession. Uh, so I, I definitely don't do that. But I pay the dues every two years, I think they are. It's basically just like, you know, because my mother really wants me to. And also, I'm afraid. Uh, there is like, sure, yeah. I think that I, I push through fear, you know, as we all do in kind of making work and putting stuff out into the world. Um, but there are some things that I do because of fear. And I think continuing to pay for my bar license keep up is one of those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, my dad, my dad is from Latvia, from Riga, and he is now in, in America and has been in the United States for like 40 something years. Um, and he's not, I mean, he's not like big on details in terms of his, life uh like from latvia uh he's sort of like someone i don't know exactly how to you know i don't know like a personality type but he's someone who will blurt things out after not saying something for a very long time sometimes <laughs> that's like you know sort of like oh i didn't know you were feeling all this stuff kind of thing but sometimes it's like details about his life that you're hmm. like wait what happened and so the movie thing I found out much later in life, like, uh, you know, already an adult, I don't exactly remember when, but where, you know, my dad was like driving me somewhere kind of thing. And we were in traffic and had a lot of time to talk. And he was saying that during a period that I did know about where he was in Israel between going from Latvia and ultimately landing in the United States, um, his family members continued to be in Israel. They live there and have since then, but like, you know, there have been waves of immigration from various parts of, at one time, the Soviet Union, like, you know, Russia, Latvia, whatever, to Israel of mm -hmm. Jews. And he was in the wave in the, like, mid to late 70s. Um, but in any event, uh, I guess 
to, to get some money during that time. He was in a movie and I discovered this. Now I'm remembering when my grandma died, I went with my dad to Israel for her funeral. Mm. And she was like, you know, very Jewish mother and like obsessed with my dad in a comical way where on one photo album that, you know, cause she had died. So, so my aunt and my dad were like, and my cousins were looking through a bunch of her stuff and there were photo albums. And on like the back cover, like taped onto the back cover was like a headshot of my dad. Wow. Uh, and yeah. And, and it was funny to everybody there because like she was so into him <laughs> in a Jewish mother way. Um, but you know, he was, he was pretty cute. And then he said, Oh, that was my headshot for this movie that I did that <laughs> I hadn't before known that he did. I've tried to look it up. If you have found that movie, you are a gold star researcher. I have <laughs> not found it. <laughs> no, I didn't get that. De- I didn't even know what it was called. So I that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Either. But yeah, yeah, I was curious, but I don't either. So then, and then your mom, she had a little bit of, of an entertainment uh, gene in her too. Cause she wanted to be a singer. She wanted to be an opera singer. Um, but then right. you said that her dad, told her to be a teacher. So she just stuck with that and became a teacher for 33 years. But that kind of in a way inspired you because you kind of wanted to do the opposite, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, you're right. And, uh, let's see. Um, I mean, I, one thing that's coming up for me when I hear you say all of that, which is all true is that one time my mom asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And my answer was, I want to go to lunch because I remembered that my mother, a teacher for my time growing up, was most happy in my perception during the summer months when she was off of school and she was able to have lunch with her friends. And Mm. so I, you know, was like, yeah, that part I like. And then she laughed, but she also was like, that's not a job, which I mean, kind of could be. Uh, But in then she was like, what do you really want to do? And I said, be a teacher. And I don't think she really was too satisfied with that because I think she wanted me to be kind of more like in some sort of impressive way than, than that. And that in, in her estimation was like kind of not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think, I mean, my mom was a New York city school teacher for all of those years. And like, that is really obviously important hard work. Um, yeah and really admirable and i when i think back to my teaching career i guess that there are certain aspects of it that are arguably impressive and i definitely like worked hard and learned a lot and you know hopefully taught a few people a few things at the very least but um i think it was you know i don't know that it was like like something that i was super invested in necessarily at all moments and, and necessarily like engaged in at all moments. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not saying my mother was or wasn't in her work. Um, I think there are certain moments that, you know, she obviously had to be as anybody does in a job and especially like a difficult job like that. Um, But I think that, you know, she had it in her life kind of as like, yeah, it makes sense. I want to be home for you guys when you come home from school you know what I mean? Like right, that kind yeah. of very practical, which I really admire and think is like such a generous thing as a parent. Yeah, too. definitely. So, so yeah. yeah. So then, and it sounds like you didn't really have a lot of 
comedy influences from from what I could tell. Like the only one that you mm-hmm. mentioned growing up, stand up, uh, was Margaret Cho. You've seen her do yeah. stand up, but you were a big fan of the Wonder Years. Was there other TV shows or yeah. movies or things that made you laugh? Like growing up when you were like you know your childhood that kind of st- stand out to you? Think influenced your comedy later? No. <laughs> that was it. Wonder no. Years and Margaret Cho, huh? But you did I say mean, Joan Rivers yeah. and Amy Schumer, I guess, yeah. but that was probably more later. It was later. Yeah. And that was specifically when I started doing comedy. Like I did it and, you know, had this big moment with it. And then I was like, well, I guess I got to get some mentors. Um, and it, it, it ended up working out. Like Joan Rivers obviously died. And so she was no longer available. Um, and then, you know, Amy Schumer, like that was not something that, I mean, I don't, I don't think she's not like a friend or a mentor or whatever, but I threw like Mike, uh, is, is a mentor of mine. Mike Kaplan. Yeah. 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 And he's, I mean, what a terrific person and mentor and then and hilarious. Yeah. Has, yeah. Has become one as well. So anyway, um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't really have a lot of comedic influence. Like we were funny in my family and I definitely like I knew how to laugh. Huh. And um, when I taught, like I do remember one time, I don't mean this to come off as like really braggy or anything, but uh, I taught um, one of my first year property classes in, I don't remember what year of teaching and somebody whose office was on the hallway of that classroom remarked like, what are you doing in there? It sounds like a comedy club, you know, just in terms of like the, the kind of last per minute, I guess that I was getting in property class, which is a hilarious class for any first year law <laughs> and lawyers. I mean, they're probably just laughing, thinking about it, but um, I, I, you know, so there were moments like that and I was like definitely funny with my friends in school, but it was never something that I, you know, anticipated as a career um, and I also didn't like seek out like watching or listening to stand up specifically. I remember Margaret Cho, I guess, because she was on something and specifically, and you probably know this because I imagine I would have said it in the same breath that she did impressions of her parents. Right. And I have, my mom is American, but my dad is Latvian and in a very like accented way. <laughs> um, and, and it's something that like that is and it continues to be sort of a, a hurdle for me in stand up where I'm like, I'm pretty sure that if I kind of got it with my dad's accent and all that, that I could really embody him and do bits about some of the stuff about him that's funny and, and our relationship, because there is a lot there. I believe that to be true, but I've yet to kind of conquer it hmm. as a comedian. Yeah. So, it's so you haven't done the impression of your dad yet then in stand-up? I mean, I've done it. I've done it, but not in any kind of high stakes situation. Like I've oh, done okay. it at a mic and, you know, where I know everybody and you know what I mean? But it's definitely mm. sort of like, like I, once I started doing comedy, then I developed kind of like goals for myself as a comedian. And I try to not have goals that are too, I guess, like too, like, similar to the pitfalls that I was pray was a uh, was that I fell into in my prior career. And what I mean by that is um, 
you know, when I was, when I was teaching, I was a tenure track professor. I knew that the day that I was hired and before that I was in a law firm. And so there was sort of this idea of like, are you on the partner track or do you Mm. not really care about your job? And so there's this idea that the present moment of one's job in those settings is dictated by one's goals for the future. And in the law firm, I was not moved to to seek a partner track at all. I was like, this job is not for me. And I was pretty sure of that. Yeah. And the vibe, you know, I worked at like a big law firm in New York. And so a lot of the people there were like, you know, other people who had gone straight through from college to law school and were just like, okay, this job pays a lot of money. And like, people seem to be impressed with it when I tell them about it at Passover. But like, I don't really, I don't know. Like the, the idea that like somebody would be really into it mm-hmm. was not really the vibe. You weren't feeling and, it, yeah. Yeah, and that was not strange in terms of like the numbers of people around me. I would say that that it was like pretty regular um, in terms of just like the frequency of that attitude, at least hmm. as, as far as I could perceive it. There were definitely exceptions, but like they were very few. Um, in terms of people who are like, yeah, this job is like what I'm into as opposed to people who are like, yep, this kind of sucks, but we get, I guess that it makes sense to do. And it's like a thing that in our society is like considered good. Um, and then with teaching, it was very different from that. I remember specifically Mm. when I interviewed for my teaching job that I would eventually get, um, that, you know, everybody was like, this is the best job in the world. Like almost like it was a catchphrase, best hmm. job in the world, best job in the world. And I was like, that is so interesting. And at the time, it was because of the sheer contrast between the law firm and school. Mm. Um, and then once I was in the job, I was like, are they just saying that? At least <laughs> some of them. Yeah. And I'm like, is it real? You really think this is the best job in the world? Hmm. And I got that it was better than a law firm job. You know, in the sense, and I guess to break down like why, it could be like you have a lot of freedom to like write about whatever you want. It's not like a client wants to, like I'm a real estate lawyer, so like our client wants to buy a building. There's a lot of paperwork that goes with that and it has to be read and we have to make sure that they're not going to like lose all their money and like sign things that cause them to be liable for stuff that, that isn't really what they should be in terms of, you know, the market for that kind of thing. And that's why you get a lawyer. It's like, right. yep, there's a lot of boring stuff to worry about. And we're paying you to do that boring worrying was the way that I imagined. Right. You know, and I, I, of course, I recognize that this is not like facts, but rather very much editorial commentary. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I believe it very genuinely for myself. But then when I went into school to, to teach, it's like, you can write about whatever you want you know, you, yes, you're teaching these classes, but like, we care about if you want to create a seminar and all that Mm. kind of stuff. And like, once you sort of develop a fan base, as it were, among the students at your school, then they'll follow you, you know, like, oh, I took this professor, like, and you know, (laughs) like in school, you're like, it's the professor. And so you want to take their classes. And so there was a lot of freedom. And that was why when I first did stand up, and I imagine you've heard the joke about the professional orgasm mm-hmm. and, you know, just, yeah. So the joke there is that the first time I did it, and this is really true, and it derived for the, for what it's worth from a sentence I said, not for the purpose of a joke, which I think the best jokes do, uh, to my therapist, 
because I was like, it was like I had a professional orgasm. And then the joke part of it is that it was basically like a regular orgasm, but I was 100% sure that it happened. (laughs) And so that moment, you know, was, I don't think that if I was like really not into my teaching job, that I would have been available for that. Like if it was the equivalent of like, I just got out of prison, you know what I mean? And this is like my first meal and, and it, of course it tastes good kind of thing. I'll have what uh, she's having, mean, right? Yeah. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, and I don't mean the prison uh, analogy, like, offensively. I, no. I, I, don't, I don't mean to suggest that I know what that's like. But no. my point is just that I didn't feel shackled. I actually right. felt like, yeah, I like teaching. And I like, you know, I, I enjoyed my, my connections with students and, like, kind of the intellectual, like, pursuit of law school I really did like it um and it wasn't until that first moment doing stand-up that I was like oh now I get that like Mm. it stuff can feel this free right um yeah yeah Yeah, I mean your education is impressive I mean I didn't know I knew about the the doctorate in law but then when I when I was doing the research I also you also have a master's in philosophy um and then yeah, yeah like you said you worked at the law firm and so then you were at the uh, university and you were the tenured law professor. So, I mean, that's like a pretty cush gig. So I think that's what you you mean yeah. when you say people say like, this is a great job because it's probably, it pays really well and you're not working yeah. as hard as if you're at a law firm, you're not burning the midnight oil as much, right? You have a little bit more freedom. Right. And so right. um, you, you, you practice I mean, those. The, the hard, right. Well, just as a footnote, sorry, because I'm also an academic, but like in terms of the hard work, like it is a lot of work. Uh, and, and I think other professors, like if you're like, oh, we have the summers off, they're like, we don't have the summers off. Um, and that's kind of a thing within academia, but, um, you're right. Right. Uh, but I think, you know, anyway, so yeah. anyway, sorry, you were, but yeah, so no, and then you actually, this was interesting too, when you, so you actually first got into the comedy was actually an improv. You took an improv class at the, um, Correct. IO improv Olympic. And I guess, mm-hmm. is that a pretty big, fa- is that, it's not as famous as second city, but is it pretty famous? Yeah, I mean, IO, it is pretty famous, and it's not in Olympic actually, because oh. of a lawsuit, which, oh. I mean, you're you're correct that that's where the initialism comes from, Yeah. but the reason that I mention it is not to say a thing like, oh, you're wrong, but instead to, to kind of, I don't know, in terms of their fame, like, they're famous enough that some, that the Olympics sued them and cared mm, okay. um, about, about the name, but I, it's the kind of thing where anybody who's, like, going through second city is most likely also going oh, through okay. IO con- gotcha. concurrently. And so second city has more shows that are like, you know, like they have a sketch show that you, you know, if you're visiting Chicago, that's like definitely a thing you would do at like eight o'clock on a Saturday night type of thing. Yeah. And IO has lots of shows as well, but like they're a little more like where people go, people who are in Second City or eventually will be in it, on the main stage or the ETC stage in Second City would go every single night to kind of like cut their teeth and whatever. Right. And I, I speak, I speak not as an expert who's been through that like whole education system because I did not go through it. Um, but I was, I was in class uh, on a visit. I visited Loyola Chicago uh, for it was in my fourth year of teaching. And that's when I took the class and I took the class expressly to do something that did not have a goal attached to it. Right. Um, because, because of what I started saying earlier about like, you know, tenure yeah. track and like, 
everything was about the track. And I was like, I want to do something that's like just for me. And I could because visiting away, you know, you're still teaching, you're still writing and all that, but you don't have like committee work and you're not like running a school because you're a visitor at that school. So there is kind of a, a little bit more freedom uh, during a semester that you might visit somewhere. And so I took the class and I got like really quickly like obsessed and absorbed into both the kind of like the art and craft of it, but also like the people. Um, and the in, teacher, wasn't in, it? It was the teacher you had a crush oh, on? <laughs> well, yes. In the, I took two levels in that semester and the second level was taught by somebody who I had a huge crush on. And uh, her name is Lindsay Haley, and she is a wonderful performer and artist and all that, um, and friend. Yeah. And uh, she and I were, like, internet connected from that year, so that was, like, 2009, through 2012-13, when I would come back to Chicago, because at that point I was in a relationship with somebody in Chicago who was trying to move to Chicago permanently because that woman lived in Chicago and worked in Chicago. And so I was like trying to get a job, a full-time job at a school in Chicago. I actually interviewed and sort of got a job at Loyola, but then like Loyola is a religious institution. And so the, what happened there was I got the job from the law faculty and then there was opposition based on, some of my papers. One in particular, I wrote a paper in the Columbia Law Review sidebar called Sodomy and Polygamy. And it's like, I, I was pretty okay at like titling stuff well so that like people read it. Um, and a lot of like law papers are not. And so hmm. it is about sodomy and polygamy, but it's not like wow. a paper about like, about like anal sex. It's a paper about the argument that hmm. the argument about marriage dilution, the idea that, I mean, it was, it was a while ago, it was 2010. So it was before there was legalized same sex marriage across the board. And a lot of things were different, gotcha. but it was, it was sort of a response paper about the idea that marriage should not include gay marriage because of the dilution of the word marriage. And so it was like, you know, just a thing huh. piece basically, but it was, it was called sodomy and polygamy. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I wrote that paper and some of the people on the faculty at Loyola were like, our institution is a religious institution and we cannot hire somebody who has written, for example, sodomy and polygamy. And then the vote from the law faculty was denied by the university, which is a rare thing hmm. because that kind of a move pretty much in any university, like a law school, a medical school, a business school, usually they're self-governing bodies for uh. the most part. Um, but like the sort of higher up university federal government, as it were, by analogy, is there to just be like, oh, okay, they, they want to do a thing? Fine. We have to like stamp it, uh, approve it. Um, but in this case, when the law faculty had the vote for me, then there were all these memos about how I was like a heretic who was going to contaminate the school then the, you know the oh, okay. university's like yeah we're not hiring her it's like she's causing all this controversy and she hasn't even started wow so i <laughs> maybe yeah, dodged I mean, the bullet just, there then that probably wasn't a good wouldn't have been a good fit i <laughs> I, I do think that's true uh a hundred percent but you know i mention it in case it happens to be of interest to anybody so um and also it's just it's what happened but uh then i was like on the hunt for 
like another law school in Chicago. And whenever you're trying to move to a specific city, it's obviously harder because then you're like, okay, so what are the schools in that city? So mm. there, you know, DePaul was also religious. I think it is. And then Chicago, Kent, I don't think was hiring. And then there's the University of Chicago and Northwestern. And those are obviously really good schools. Mm. Northwestern, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I was coming from Hofstra, which like, it's a great school, but it's not Northwestern. And so it's very wow. much kind of like, yeah, I play on like the Red Barons and I'm trying to move to the Yankees. Mm. And, uh, I can't believe I just used a literal baseball analogy that actually makes sense. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I once went to a Red Barons game. What is Red I'm Barons? I'm, I'm not, is that a minor league a, team? <laughs> yeah, it's a minor league team. I don't even know if they exist anymore. Like I, I, I just, just remember the Red Baron even, pizza. Yeah. I don't, you remember those, the Red Baron frozen oh, pizza? No. Oh, oh, those are so great. Yeah, now, now that you're mentioning, yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know anything about sports, but I, I somebody took me to that game. No, but like, tell me, whenever. tell me about the yeah. going back to the improv teacher. Tell me about this story. Oh, sure. You did, you, you, you met her for coffee. Yeah. But you did eighteen shots. Is this true? Eighteen shots of espresso before you t- you met yeah. her, and she's like, "You have a great yeah. energy," but like probably that was yeah. because of the coffee, right? Correct. Yes. How did you and not, I, did you have a heart attack say, after 18 shots? I mean, isn't there a limit to how much caffeine a human can consume? I guess. And maybe my limit's <laughs> high. I, I don't really, I don't really mess with it anymore. Uh, not, I mean, I'll have coffee in the morning. I'm not, yeah. like, not ca- caffeinated ever, but like, uh, yeah, it was a time in my life when I was like much more willing to experiment with like, like if there was, I mean, yes, drugs, but like, <laughs> It was more, it was more like, is there something that can take my energy to a million? I hmm. want to do that thing. Like that was really what I was about, I think, uh, in that moment. And I think some of it is like, because I think I had a capacity for a higher octane level and now, you know, I perform every day. And so I think that is really helpful because I, you know, I've always been the same but I think that that this was sort of when I was, you know, uh, shedding a lobster shell or whatever. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. sort of breaking out. Gotcha. Um, but yes, you're correct. I had I at the time I was taking Adderall and I would take like way more than I was prescribed, and it wasn't like I took them in like you know all in one like shot. But, but it was the kind of thing where I would be taking Adderall. I took, I would take like, let's say one Adderall and I was like on a, a, a sort of thought train and doing some work. And then I would have like a dip in mood, which I imagine, I mean, I'm not like, I don't know that much about the science of like how drugs hit a person, but I'm guessing there's like waves, right? And the moment that you feel like, oh, I think I need more of the drug, I would just take more Adderall. So I was on a lot of it at mm-hmm. pretty much all times. And, you know, the, the interesting thing for me about Adderall was like, and I, it continues to be, is like it was a drug that caused me to do more of the stuff that I was told from a very young age was good. So like, you know, hmm. I, I don't understand people who can take Adderall recreationally. And, you know, I, I've dated people like that who are like, yeah, let me, let me take one of your Adderalls and like, let's go sing karaoke or go to a club or something like that. Um, but for me, when I would do Adderall, if I were at a bar, I would want to see if they have like a spare math book, you know, just to like, <laughs> like it really activated a part of my brain that just wanted to solve problems. Interesting. And so, 
Yeah. And, and so I, I would take a lot of that. And then uh, I showed up at the Bourgeois Pig on Fullerton in Chicago to meet Lindsay Haley because I had messaged her being like, because I, I think she was no longer teaching in a class format because she had sort of like, you know, her performance schedule was more intense or whatever the reason was, but we were connected on Facebook. So I sent her a Facebook message. I said, you know, I'm in town because I was, I had a visiting semester at Northwestern at that time uh, because of the pursuit of trying to move to a teaching position in Chicago. And I was like, I don't know if you can do like one-on-one improv. And I don't mean any like sort of sexual innuendo or anything like that. Even though I did have a crush on her, like I really was just like, I just want to be around you. Mm. And I think you're so brilliant and so fearless, which she is on stage. Um, And if I can learn from you, then like, I think my life would be better. I think I'd be happier. And I was just like moved to do that. And so I did. And then I get there, I order a coffee like a regular person and then start flirting with the barista. I don't remember exactly why, but then we, she like dared me as far as I can remember to take a shot of espresso and then more and then more. And the Jeez. 18, 18, That's I think so at many. that point. How I much does that just, cost? So that... Many. Airpoint. I don't remember. Um, crazy. But yeah, that's that's a good question. But anyway, like yeah. the eighteen is co- that's life in Judaism, because uh, like in in uh, in Hebrew, I mean also Judaism, oh. but I meant Hebrew, hmm. um, where words have numerical equivalents, and so there's a chet and a yud. Those are two Hebrew letters that spell the word chai, which means life. And so a lot of times, like Jewish people will send a check in in an amount that is a multiple of eighteen, oh. because it's like you know just a special number in the religion but in any event yeah my ocd which i don't identify as like you know like when i've seen depictions of ocd on television shows i do get it but like for me it's never been like i'm in the bathroom for hours and hours washing my hands and not that i don't have empathy for that that sounds really um trapping Mm. but i can understand the, the brain telling me that I have to continue and continue and continue to wash my hands. I just, I think I was like a good negotiator with my brain where I was like, listen, if I blow on my hands, is it okay? If I don't <laughs> wash them. And so I would do that kind of thing. But anyway, the reason I mentioned all of that is like, sometimes I would do num- numericals in 18 oh. uh, for like OCD reasons because gotcha. of the, the meaning in Judaism. Okay. Interesting. So speaking yeah. of numbers, and you also had this kind of yeah. vision. Tell, tell me about this. Uh, in the uh, seventh year I of your job, you, and you were kind of ah. doing the comedy, and you had this vision of, the, yeah. of being on The Tonight Show. Tell, tell that story. Yeah. That's kind of sure. what led to so, you eventually quitting, right? It is. Um, so the first night, the professional orgasm night, uh, was amazing. And like, you know, it, when I say amazing, like I, um, that was March 5th. So March 6th, I wake up. You really re- are good at remembering these dates. I'm really impressed by that. I know. Oh, thank you. That's, that's nice of you to notice. Um, so yeah. So anyway, I wake up the next morning having like, you know, a fun high from having a good show the sure. night before. Right. And, and it was that, but like in my memory, like it was as though I had played Madison Square Garden, whereas in reality, I played the old IO on Clark, which for anybody <laughs> who knows it, it's like it's like a, a, a lovely, charming, like camp bunk sort of vibe. And like, <laughs> yeah, it's a great theater and a lot of awesome art has happened there. But like, it is not like whatever. It's yeah. not like a stadium that, sure. that in, in, and 
it was almost like that in my memory. And so anyway, I woke up and I was like really riding that high from the, the performance the night before. But also I was just like, I'm convinced that I'm a celebrity. Like, and, <laughs> and I, I think it was, you know, it might have been the effect of not that I necessarily was taking Adderall in that moment. I may have been, I don't remember specifically, but I think that like one of the reasons that I don't do any drugs, I guess, except for like caffeine and sugar, uh, to the extent that those qualify, um, I, I don't do them. Not so much like, I guess there is an addictive element, but it's also like, because I think that I have a tendency to like really dream very big and that's great. And I think there can be like wonderful things that, that can happen in one's life if that's like a tendency. But I think that drugs kind of amplify it and make it like very ego based mm. in a way that mm. like, I don't know if it's good to amplify. It's yeah. already it's already happening, so like I might I think I, I'm just better off when it's like just regular. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was not at this phase of my life, and also I had just had like my first stand up set, and so to the extent that I'm susceptible to this sort of vision anyway, it was only going to be like more intense. But March sixth, I wake up and I'm like reeling in a good way from the night before, professional orgasm, all of that, and I have this vision of being on The Tonight Show, not doing stand-up, but being interviewed on the chair and talking already. And so on this, in this vision, I am asked, so Liz, you were a law professor for a decade, and then you just quit to do stand-up comedy? And in, in, at that time, I was in my seventh year of teaching, as you said, when answering the question, which is correct. And so he says decade and it was year seven. And in the vision, I say, you know, actually, Jimmy, it was nine years in response to decade, nine years. And then real me is like, I think that might be funny. I know I just started being funny professionally last night, but isn't it funny in sort of a, I don't know, like all the definitions of funny. I don't know if it's like, ha ha funny, but it's some kind of funny that somebody would say a decade and then I round down and round down to nine. And so this is a vision just came as a package. And, and then I, in the moment during that seventh year of teaching was like, I think that's funny. Told my mother, told my girlfriend at the time, both of them were like, uh-huh, don't quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, held on to that vision, like so much so that I remember one time, you know, in the intervening months um, between when I would ultimately quit. Uh, and then that, you know, the night, the morning after, in those intervening months, at one point, I took out a piece of printer paper, had a Sharpie in my hand, and I wrote to myself, don't quit for a bit. And then also wrote, especially if it's not even funny. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Then, you know, but I had that vision of yeah. just, like quitting after nine years. And so, you know, then the semester at Northwestern ends, that's year seven. Then the following year, at, at some point, I get this phone call from the dean and he's like, hey, I'm just making the rounds. I have to call everybody. I'm making this decision based on like a budget moment that we're having at school. They're fine now. But at the time, he was like, you know, I'm making this decision to offer all tenured faculty members buyout packages. I had just gotten tenure 
because it's a six-year clock where I worked. And so mm. year seven was my first year as a tenured professor. And then the following, and then that was year seven was also the year of the vision with the, with the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, so just like, you know, whatever it was, 10, 11 months in February 10th um, of 2014, later after the first stand-up set, I get this phone call from Nadine and he's saying, you know, we're offering all, all faculty members buyout packages. And so I'm like taking notes in my planner because they don't send out a memo for that because they don't want it like leaked to some legal tabloid. And then everybody thinks the school is going bankrupt or whatever, you know, it's closing and, and they are fine. But anyway, so I'm like writing down all of the tranches of the buyout packages because the way those things work, it's like, you know, all these different options. You could go an eighth time, a quarter time, a half time, whatever, and you get some commensurate reward for your giving up your position in some way. And then the penultimate option was, or you could quit at the end of this year, you get X number of dollars. And then the final final was, or you could quit at the end of next year. And I'm sitting writing this in my planner and I'm like, that is nine years because this was year eight after next year would mean that I would complete nine and then be done. And so I said to the Dean, who was a friend of mine, we had been on the faculty together for years. I said, Eric, that's the one I pick. And he says, Liz, you get that this isn't like, it's not like a multiple choice question. Mm -hmm. You have to pick an answer. You don't get credit. He was like, you don't have to pick any of these. I have to tell you. And I was like, I know. And I told him exactly this story. Wow. And he, so he knew yeah. you guys, you know, that you uh, had done stand up, and that was kind of something you were doing on the side. And yeah, that was your yeah. dream. I okay. Mean, it, yeah, it wasn't, I don't know that people necessarily knew that I was like really serious, serious mm. about it, but definitely people knew I was doing it. Did, so did you ever reconsider that and think, this is crazy? I should just do comedy on the weekends or work as a professor part time at least and comedy part time? Mm-hmm. Or what made you just decide that I'm doing this, I'm doing a full jump and I'm quitting? Uh, well, the belief in the vision. Really? That was that vision? I mean, 100%. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just because it felt like, because when I have one of these visions, like I really have it, even if I'm not actively thinking about it, right? Like I'm ordering coffee or I'm, mm-hmm. you know, looking at a, a tree, I'm not thinking about it, but it's always in the back of my mind. I think, I, I just think that I've been that way yeah. with stuff. And so well, did you have those visions with like getting the, the doctorate in law? I mean, cause the, the, the other goals that you had accomplished, the master's in philosophy, the doctorate in, um, as a, yeah. a lawyer and then like a tenured law professor, were those goals that you had had for yourself as well? Like visions that you had for those things? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, well, so teaching law was one that I developed once I decided to go to law school. Okay. I don't think that going to law school was really one of them. It was more yeah. oh. like I don't remember having that vision as a kid. I mm. remember having visions of being on stage as a child. Wow. Um, yeah. So do you have uh, any? Re- and- yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, sorry. No, go no, ahead. No. I was just going to say, do you have any regrets with that decision? Like, or are you glad that you made the, because now it's a few years later, you've kind of been able to test the waters a little. Do you feel like this is working for me? Or do you feel like you might have to go back to teaching or being a lawyer? I mean, you still, you said Um, you still have that license. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have regrets at all. Um, To answer the question more kind of in a grounded way about, you know, whether it's going well enough or all that. I mean, I really, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to work in 
the capacity of like law or teaching law or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the method of thought. And so Hmm. it's not that I like, I think that like sometimes when people find out that I'm a lawyer and they've just like heard my stand up, they're like, it makes sense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I get it. Yeah. But, but it's not like, I don't want to, I don't want to think about like, okay, what are all the things that could go wrong? And what are the rules that are governing our relationships? Like that's not interesting to me, but what is interesting to me is kind of using the methodology of thought, which was basically what I taught in order to like go deeper into like cataloging the stories of my own life in order to communicate like, sure, things that could make people laugh, but ultimately insight. So, Um, yeah. So with your education and your background, do you ever feel like you have to kind of dumb it down a little for stand up or like certain towns you kind of have to maybe like, Oh, maybe I should dumb this down a little. No, uh, I don't think so. I mean, that's good. Like, yeah, I guess. Because um, you and Mike both have that really, yeah. you're both you're both very yeah. intelligent. You have that kind of like higher level Thanks. comedy that I really appreciate. And I don't know if you know Dan yeah. Wilbur. That's how I came across Mike mm-hmm. Kaplan is through Dan. Well, he is also this. You guys have this kind of like smart comedy thing. So sure. I mean, the thing is though, like one of the things I, I remember this like when I actually started in law school writing, like writing briefs and memos, like for legal writing, which is a class in law school. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I learned there was that to do it well, you've got to do it really simply. And, Mm. and that's like, I mean, people think of law and they think of legalese and legalese almost by definition is complicated, but really it's not intended to be that way. It's intended to be precise. And because ultimately like, like when you're making when you're making arguments as a lawyer in some capacity right like you're making an argument about precisely what you mean or else like there wouldn't have been an, a disagreement such that we're in court or in the in the case of contract drafting we're wanting to avoid disagreements and so our desire is to be as precise as possible hmm. but because the desire is to be as precise as possible in order to get there you've got to be thinking, well, I've got to say it as simply as possible because if it's precise and complicated, nobody's going to know what anyone means. And that's obviously not the point. Right. And so I think that as a result of that, like it's, it's like my, I don't know. First of all, I think people are smart. And second of all, I think that um, it's more interesting to me to just connect the way that I actually would talk like that's just the most authentic way that I'm going to come across and so it's not to say that I've never failed in front of audiences that are like not into it but I don't think that's because they're not getting it because they're not smart enough Mm. I think that I somehow got spooked in those situations and was like oh no I'm not doing well so maybe like I I just don't think it's ever been because someone's not smart enough to get it well, and you, yeah. yeah, you said you like the improvisational comedy better than the kind of setup punchline joke comedy. But um, tell me this story that too. I mean, I've I've heard about. I want our audience to hear the. And I don't know if that was this the first or second. It was early in your stand-up career. You you got a package and you weren't sure who it was yeah. from, so you decided I'm going to open this package on stage as like part of my yeah. routine, having no idea what's in it. Can you tell that story? Yeah, um, I can tell the story. So it was my literal first set. Okay. Uh, and I was really, really nervous. And, and a, a mentor of mine was like, 
you know, and, and when I say mentor, she was somebody I'd taken a writing class from. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Abby, sure, and she's also great. And anyway, so she was like, just start off by being as vulnerable as you can. Say whatever you can that's vulnerable at the, at the beginning. And I was like, okay. And, but then I was like, what, which thing? How do I get vulnerable enough? And I was just like freaking, freaking out. And then on my way out the door, I see that I got a package and I didn't know what it was. I wasn't expecting it. And then I was like, well, what's a really quick way to be vulnerable is just to not know something. That's like a, a trick in a way to be vulnerable. Um, and so I decided to open the package on stage. It turned out what was in the package was 18 uh, high life. Um <laughs> Uh, because it was three packages and each of them had six vinyl shoulder covers for suits because my mother has <laughs> had visited my apartment a week earlier and noticed that my cat Mona, who has white hair, like fur and long hair, long fur, her fur would de- would like drop and shed on the shoulders of the suits that I would wear to teach school. And so my mother was like, Elizabeth, you got to, because my mother called me Elizabeth, but um, you got to get these shoulder covers. And I was like, okay, mommy, I will. And she knew that I wouldn't. And so mm. she just ordered them to my home. So how and did so, that go when you opened it up as your first, I mean, well, were people laughing or you were good. able to make a yeah. moment? Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Because I think that because it was what it was, I mean, first of all, maybe because I didn't know, right. So yeah. a little element of surprise, but I think even more than that, because there was so much story and so much relationship in the story of like, well, my mother and my cat and I'm talking then, even if I don't know how to be funny specifically, which I absolutely did not at that time, you know, I knew how to be funny. I knew how to make a joke in a conversation or if I was talking about, you know, the rule against perpetuities then I could make a joke because I knew how to make jokes, but ultimately it wasn't like the joke wasn't the point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and just in slightly in response to your, you know, your lead into this question about improv versus set up punchline. I actually think that now I'm getting much more comfortable with set up punchline, but I started this way. And so, so, you know, it's an evolution. However, at this time I had no idea how to like purposefully (laughs) be funny, right? but I, I did know how to relate to a bunch of people and tell them why someone sent me this package. Yeah, And, And, you know, that ended up being, you know, a a way of conveying information that was like funny in a way about me and my mom and then me and Mona, you know, my cat. Right. Uh, And so, yeah, so it did work. Yeah. And I mean, cause you had experience as a teacher and like you said, you you know, the people had said that your, your, your classes were like comedy clubs. So, I mean, it wasn't like you were, it was your first time doing stand up comedy, but it wasn't like your first time talking in front of people and making them laugh. So that's kind of true. smooth That's transition. True. Yeah. No, I was watching some of your yeah. stand up today and um, you did a joke and made me laugh really hard. So I, I hope this, um, I hope this isn't yeah. offensive, but I just thought, it, I thought it was really, when you said something about how Alice from the Brady bunch, I, I lost oh. it when you, and I was in the gym and I'm on the treadmill and I'm, I'm listening to that part. I just love, I love self deprecating humor. Yeah. Do you do a lot of that kind of? Yeah, I guess I do. I mean, and I've actually added a tag to that joke. Oh, and really? So basically, it's, yeah, it's right after the professional orgasm. And then I said, this is what that looks like for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if I can be really dirty, this is what I look like when I'm coming. And then I say, fully clothed, microphone in hand, like Alice from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and then 
I think in the set that you may have seen, I probably said I squirt. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Whatever. And that got laughed. But because of that, then I started saying I squirt. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Well, I do. But it's my job to clean it up because, of course, Alice is the housekeeper <laughs> from the Brady Bunch. And so, so oh, that's, that's, been, funny. that's been fun. Yeah. So Thank you so much. And yeah. You go now. I know you've done comedy in uh, New York and L.A. And then I think one of the videos was Seattle. Have you traveled the country a lot? Have you been to, done done comedy in a lot of different cities and towns? You kind of yeah. I yeah. mean yeah. Like it's it's more picking up for me now. Okay. So I'm actually like a couple weeks out from like a little mini stop in Portland. I'll be in Portland for I think it's like four days, but like twelve shows, and then uh, uh, San Francisco right after that actually have my first show where I'm running an hour in a law school. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's the thing that I'm doing is, is an, a tour of law schools to hmm. run an hour. Um, yeah. Which I'm excited about, but That'll anyways, I'm doing Berkeley. I think so. But then, yeah. So, so now I've gotten to a point where, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because like having come from a career where there are so many, not that it's all this, but there's a lot of like kind of, you know when you've gotten to a certain level because like you're up for tenure or you just got this publication or whatever, like you just graduated. But in comedy, it's a little less obvious. Like you kind of don't know until you know. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's always hard to say because it's like you can always bomb and I bomb all the time, like especially if I'm doing new material or whatever. And everybody does. I guess, or, yeah. you know, whatever. That's what I hear. Yeah. Right. right. Well, they say that's how you but, get, that's how you become a good standup comedian is kind of getting your ass kicked at the open mics and then you just keep getting oh, yeah. better, better, better. Totally. But then even, yeah. I feel like even the best comedians I hear still have nights where they just totally bomb. Totally. Yeah. And, and I try not to like, it's not like I'm, I'm keeping some sort of batting average for the second baseball analogy, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, but you know, I, I just like, I'm trying to be as funny and truthful as I can be. And that takes working it out to do, you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, but, but the reason I set this up to say that not for a joke, but just for a point is to say that, um, now I've noticed that like I could, message somebody send them a set and they will give me a spot and that was not always the case because i was less i was less good i knew fewer people and that kind of thing Mm. and so for portland it was like i have a friend uh he's a wonderful comedian adam passy in portland and also lee cox who's another wonderful comedian in portland but anyway like through um through adam basically i got a bunch of shows uh and so it was the kind of thing where um, you know, like in a video game where you sort of like bump a, a brick and then all the coins come, you know totally. what I mean? Oh, where absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like sending one message and getting like five shows from it. And that a similar thing happened in San Francisco. And then I have, I'm going back to Seattle actually in the beginning of March and a similar thing. I think it's oh, like cool. five days and 11 shows and that kind of thing. So anyway, that's, exciting. that's just to say it is exciting. I'm really, really excited for all of those trips. And it's just like a wonderful thing that I, I really am humble about because I definitely remember when it was like much more of a slog. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. getting, getting in touch with somebody, they never write you back and that kind of thing. Um, and so I wasn't like traveling as much because why? 
you know, mm-hmm. but now there seems to be uh, stuff to do. Yeah. And I travel. Well, so you got so the, the comedy shows are on the road and then you've done a little bit of TV and film work. And uh, I think you have a, uh, something coming out called unsubscribe. It sounds kind of interesting. You, you're going to play yeah. an Uber driver in that. T- tell me about that role yeah. in that show. It sounded intriguing from what I was reading about it. Yeah. It's a friend of mine, Carson Jarrett, um, and, uh, Terry Schneider directed this indie pilot, um, that a bunch of people from an, an acting class that I go to and they go to were in and I was actually PAing, uh, being a production assistant on the shoot because I had a few days free and I was like, oh, okay, I want to be on set. My friend is doing a thing and I can make a little bit of money, but it was more for the experience. And then I know the writer uh, because that was how I got the PA gig to begin with. And so we've worked together like in class and she asked me if I wanted to do the Uber driver role. And hmm. it, it was really fun and a really cool. good role. Yeah, I mean, I've had like a dream of, and I still do, and it's similar, maybe less narcissistic, but like similar to the to the Tonight Show one. Yeah, um, your TV show idea? Playing, well, yes, I do have that, but also for a role to play a bus driver in oh. a Muppet movie. And so, <laughs> That'd be uh, fun. With animal, animal on my lap. Um, but so putting that out into the universe is always something that I'm into, and I... I think that like an Uber driver in in this um, is pretty close. Yeah, that. that's very cool. And, that's and a good start. Now, yeah. Do you yeah. have any plans yeah. to write a book? Because I've, I've noticed listening to interviews and stuff, you talk a lot about this book and that book and this book. And, and with your background in education, uh-huh. I feel like that would be a natural transition to write a book, either like a self-help book or just a comedy book or a funny self-help yeah. book. Is that some, something that would be on your plate at all? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to do it. It's not something that, like, I don't have an active file on my computer that's, like, the book. Mm. I mean, I journal every day, and I write all the time, but, like, Mm. that is not something, you know, I don't have, like, chapter one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes I I think, like, doing that kind of stuff, doesn't that, like, help your get you known as a comedian like people oh yeah she wrote that book and then they check out your comedy it's kind of like one of those that's what it seems like in this day and age like you know you got to be on instagram twitter youtube you got to do this you got to do like 20 different things to be to stand out almost it seems like you got to be in tv shows and yeah right i think that's absolutely true and then also the other side of it is well you know right now like i i i understand the like you gotta aspect of of it but also (laughs) like you do get to you know what I mean? Oh, no, like, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I write every day, not because there's a gun to my head, but because it makes me feel better. And I think that that's actually like when I retired, it was retiring from a job to do another career or from one career yeah. to another career. But it was also retiring from a bunch of like kind of mindset things yeah. that that were like, I think, in retrospect, somewhat destructive to my like way in the world Mm -hmm. and my soul and whatever in teaching. And it's not, it's not like, it's not anybody's fault in a way. Like it's not like law is bad or teaching is bad or I was bad, but rather that the way that I thought about stuff of like, well, I, I have to like, you know, ace everything Mm. um, that that mindset was really destructive. And so I guess like now you know, and, and this, this continues to be like, it, it gets harder and harder as I get 
maybe better and better, but also like as I'm further along in the journeys of like acting and writing and stand up. And it's kind of like, you know, and it feels somewhat trite to say this, but it's like, yeah, as you get kind of further into what you're doing, there's more stuff to do. Sure. Um, it's but, exciting. But I met, yeah, it is exciting. And so I mentioned all this just because, yes, I think that's true. You got to have a podcast. You got to have, you know, a YouTube channel and put out videos and also be, you know, writing the book and writing the television show and also writing the movie. And <laughs> you got to just have it all ready to go. But the other part is, well, you know, I, I try to think about it like what makes me happy to fill my time with. Right. And, you know, how can I maximize happy moments? in my life to the extent that I can control them. And mm. so it makes me happy to do stand up. It makes me happy to write. It makes me happy to, um, uh, to sing, which is not something that I, you know, do mm. that much of like in a, in a kind of on stage sort of thing. But um, yeah. So just thinking about like, what's going to fill me with happiness and that I can like, get better at so that my thing that makes me happy can also be something that makes other people happy and bring them value and then eventually bring me value so I can support myself financially, economically, um, by doing that thing. Right. You know, no, exactly. I don't have all the answers, but yeah, I mean, if somebody would write a book about how to do <laughs> that, then I'd read it. So I guess you're supposed to create the content that you'd want to consume. Yeah. So I got to ask you about this too, before we wrap up here, but sure. um, I just started doing, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into this because I'm, I'm sure some people will be like, oh, they're going to be rolling their eyes at this. But I just started doing okay. the transcendental meditation and I read that you do I that do too. That. And so yeah. I, I think the stereotype is like people that meditate, you know, they have to wear a robe and sandals and you have to light incense, but you can actually just do it in regular clothes. And I'm actually, it's actually helping me a little bit. So talk about when did you get into that yeah. and how has it helped you? Sure. Um, I got into it the end of May. Uh, I think it was May 29th of 2018. And I remember that arguably because of the date thing, mm -hmm. but also because I got mugged at gunpoint during the third day of the four day training, which like, you know, it's hard to say that getting mugged at gunpoint Jeez. is a gift, obviously super scary moment yeah. and whatever. If I can offer any PSA, I try not to at nighttime. This is only like nine o'clock, but it's about the lighting. Look at my phone while I'm walking because I guess mm. that that is a tell, not only that you have a phone, but also that you'll be night blinded oh. um, because huh. of, be yeah. So it's like, even if somebody isn't wearing like a face mask or anything like that, you're probably not going to A, recognize them or B, be trusted to recognize them based on the way that our eyes are night blinded from phone glare. Good yeah. to know. Anyway. Yeah, sure. I mean, if I can be of help, but anyway, and I don't mean that to victim blame me or anybody else. No, no. Yeah. While doing that, but I, you know, to the extent that we can learn from something. Absolutely. Yeah. There it is. Good tip. Yeah. There. But anyway, right. So, so that happened to me and it happened like when you do TM, at least the way that I learned it, it's like you go to some intro talk and then you do yep. or don't sign up for a four day, you know, class and every day is like an hour, an hour and a half. And it's not like it's your whole day because it's only that amount of time. Um, but it's like, you know, pretty intense in the sense that you're like learning how to do it and all that. And uh, I 
I remember I got mugged coming back from, it was day two. Yeah. Cause day two was at night. It ended at like, you know, eight thirty or something like that. Eight forty-five. I'm, I'm, I'm walking to my apartment in Hollywood at like nine ish. And that's when it happened. And I couldn't sleep because, you know, that's a big moment. But then, and so I emailed the teachers that were in charge of the TM program. And I was like, Hey, this happened. So like, I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow. Mm. And, um, and they have, you know, they were really nice about it. But then they also said, they're like, if you are able to, you know, get to sleep and whatever, it may be helpful. And mm. it ended, you know, I did make it. The, the, the other, the class the next day wasn't until noon. And so I actually like eventually get to, got to sleep and then eventually woke up and was able to make it for noon, uh, which wasn't too strenuous, you know, in terms of my own kind of health. And once I, like, it was so interesting to me to have the mugging happen right then because one of the things with the mugging and any sort of traumatic experience is that you replay it over and over and over in your mind, especially close to the time that it happened. And one of the things about TM is that you have a mantra that you innocently, gently favor over other thoughts when you notice that thoughts come in the 20 minutes that you're meditating. That's essentially the practice of it is, you know, to have this mantra in mind, but not to like fixate on it, but instead to notice when you've strayed from it and innocently favor it. And so it was so interesting because I was learning how to do that. Meanwhile, having kind of one thought that kept popping up, but then being able to have this new tool of a mantra to innocently sort of put a gentle blanket over me and my brain that was really recently very traumatically and scarily um, was at gunpoint. Yeah. You know, so it helped a lot with that. that. I mean, yes, it really helped. No, yeah, I I think it it helps me too. It's weird. You do the meditation and then you, it's kind of like, sometimes you think you're not doing it right or whatever, then you kind of step out of it and you go, Oh, okay. Like I do kind of feel a little bit better now. It's weird. Like it kind of helps you like refocus. It's weird, but yeah. Oh, I love knowing that you do that Chuck. That's that's just like fun. Yeah. I just kind of started and trying it. I've tried other meditations and it like didn't really work for me, but this one seems to be working. So I'm going to keep trying it and see if I can stick to it. It's kind of, it's one of those things you have to like add it to your routine or whatever, but um, anyways, yeah, yeah I like yeah. to, I like to always end on a, a charity that you're passionate about. I don't know if you had something for that. That was your homework. Sure. Your one thing. <laughs> Did you have yeah. something that you wanted to mention at the end here? Yeah. I mean, I, I've donated to the ACLU, like any chance that I get to donate, I typically donate to the ACLU because I taught first amendment law and, right. uh, I mean, you know, I, I identify as pretty liberal um (laughs) but i think i think that like also um it's always been important to me that there is a premium placed on free speech and so absolutely yeah i think we can all agree with that yeah um so not i don't know that i'm like necessarily educating people about a thing they didn't know about um but that has always been my go-to Awesome. Very cool. So there's that. And then you're on, um, all the social medias. I think I found you on YouTube today, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you have a website. Vimeo. Yeah. You have Vimeo yeah, too. Okay. Blazer. Oh yeah. 
Uh, I do. There's cool. more on Vimeo actually, but um, but uh, yeah, fearlessblazer.com, and then all the all the internet ways. And you have tour dates. You're going you're to go to Seattle, my hometown. So people that uh, listen oh, to me from, from Seattle. Yeah. So if there's yeah. anybody, uh, any of my uh, hometown friends or family are going to be in, in Seattle when you're there, they should go see you and say hi. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you specifically. I'll, I'll text you the, the specifics on the shows. Cool. Yeah, definitely. And then look for your uh, your cameo. And uh, Is it a cameo or is it like a full-on? I don't know how big a role is in unsubscribe, but I, I want to see that. Yeah. Uh, it's I don't know. I haven't seen the final finals, okay. guys, but um, it's a pretty, it's like, uh, I mean, it's, you know, in, in 40 year old virgin, the like Jonah Hill moment where he buys the boots from eBay and it's yeah. kind of like a funny, oh. a funny thing that's small. I would okay. say it's like, I mean, it's aspirational to say that it's, that it's like, like I'm as good as that. Like that mm-hmm. makes me uncomfortable, but that's kind of the idea, like a sort of, side character with pizzazz cool i'm excited to see that i'm excited to see you on the tonight show i don't know what year that will be um would we have a do you have a number for that one you are always so good at these dates but i guess you're not psychic so you don't know i am not psychic but uh I, i i really am not but i do get like downloads and i don't know if you've found this out from research it's not something that i've talked about a ton in ways that are like with links, but I've found a lot of fortunes on the ground specifically between <laughs> September 4th of 2018. And, uh, I think I did see, was there a stand up bit about this? Well, there's right. I have done stand up on it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. It's, it's definitely newer stuff because sometimes like when I start talking about it, I'm like, this is not relatable. It's just like a weird thing that happened to me. And sometimes I'm able to make it relatable and I'm sort of like trying to figure out how, but because it's just so weird, like Mm. most people have not found one fortune on the ground, like fortune from a fortune cookie, but without the fortune cookie, you're just like ambling about and then you see it, uh, you know, next to your left foot or something like that, which is the way that I've had it. And um, yeah, I found 64 between those dates. So September 4, 2018 and Sunday. So January 19th, um, although I guess I found it after midnight, so technically the 20th, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, and actually the last one was, um, your friend will provide invaluable advice. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, or a friend's advice is invaluable, something to that effect. And so I'm very grateful for Mike for connecting us and giving, giving me the advice oh, yes. effectively to go on your show. Yes. Thank um, you, Mike Kaplan. Great. Hilarious comedian. Yes. If you haven't listened to that episode, ah. listen to that. He's, he's or ch- definitely check out a standup now. And uh, do you oh, have yeah. a, a home standup uh, club in LA that you typically go to, or you kind of bounce around from different places? I do bounce around. Okay. Yeah. I mean, recently last week, literally I started the process of like perhaps getting books at the Hollywood improv, like for late night spots and that kind oh, of thing. Cool. Cause I had, yeah, it was like, you know, it's sort of a, a little, a little like feather, uh, achievement kind of thing. But I had set of the night, one of the sets of the night last Tuesday that then meant I got a book spot on Sunday. And after the spot on Sunday, I was like asked to give my info to the booker. So I say that like it's, it's such a new thing, but like mm-hmm. that could be a place that I start appearing more. 
Great. That's exciting. Well, yeah, if I'm ever in LA, I'll definitely, I'll try to check. There's so many of you guys now that I've uh, interviewed. So it's like, I I don't know, I'll have to like bounce to like 10 different uh, comedy clubs. Hopefully you guys are all at the same (laughs) club. That'd make it easier. But yeah, I'll definitely try to check you out if I'm in LA because I usually go there a couple times a year. So Right, and I'd love to come to Arizona. I've never, yeah, I've you never should come down and, and do a show here for sure. We have like five different comedy that. clubs, maybe more. There's a lot now. It seems like there's like a couple new ones. There's like three, five, five, six, seven. I don't know. There's a lot now. So oh, yeah, nice. I'll put in a word for you if I I know a couple comedians yeah. here. So yeah, great. Amazing. Well, okay. thank you so much for cool. coming on my show. If there's anything thank else, you, is there anything yeah. else you want to promote or? Oh no. Okay. No. Um, I'm just, I'm just me. Thank <laughs> okay. you so much. This is wonderful. Chat. Yes. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Yes, the same. Thanks Liz. Okay. Bye. 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 Yeah, take care. Bye. Okay. That was comedian Liz Glazer. Definitely follow her on social media, track her career. She's accomplished so much in her life already. I know she's going to accomplish even bigger things in the realm of comedy. Um, just, and just such a nice person, such a sweetheart. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, You can follow me on all the social media, too, if you enjoy this podcast. Uh, You can hit the subscribe button or write me a review. Tell me how great I am or how terrible I am. Um, I've got some great guests for you lined up, so just keep listening. And uh, I want to thank everybody for who has continued to listen and support this show. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun doing it. So until next time.